In Jesus' name, amen. First, I got the sermon notes that I've been prepared for you. In our sermon series, One Month to Live. That is, if you knew you had just one month to live, what would you do different? How would you approach life differently? Based upon a survey taken, the overwhelming majority said that if they had limited time, they would spend that limited time not seeking some great adventure, not going after beautiful places, not extra hours on the job, but rather they would spend that limited time with people. So in your notes, with one month to live, you would spend time with people. There's nothing wrong with seeking adventures, visiting beautiful places, loving your work. Four out of five people said spending time with family and friends was high on the list. So look at Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. So we're saying, God, teach. Teach us to make the most of our time so that we can have the wisdom to pursue what matters most. So in your notes, I have included a review of last week's sermon, One Month to Live. So number one in your notes, decide, first of all, to live like you're dying. If you were to live like you were dying, you would immediately identify what matters most in your life. Then number two, you determine to live with passion. Passion is the reason you get up in the morning. Passion recognizes life is short, embraces the bigger picture with God's purpose. So number one, decide to live like you're dying. Number two, determine to live with passion. Number three, in your notes, define my one month to live values. Defining your values as a step to help you move the ball down the field and not just spinning the wheels with no progress. When you make a list of your one month to live values, then you become motivated. When you decide to live like you're dying and determine to live with passion and define your values, the number four in your notes, you depend on God's power. You move from your own willpower now to depending on God's power. See, New Year resolutions, they fade quickly. But Jesus' presence in your heart and life gives you the power. Power to heal those relationships. Power to intervene in tragedies. Power to help you focus on what matters most. So to summarize, week one in your notes, determine what matters most. Now how many of you completed your homework from last week and defined your one month to live values? Or let me rephrase that a little bit. How many of you thought it was a good idea last week, but you just haven't gotten around to it yet? Raise your hand. This week, week two. Our goal is in your notes to deepen, deepen relationships that matter most. Number one, week, determine what matters most. Week two, deepen those relationships that matter most. So I want to lay a biblical foundation and seek some essential ingredients that you will need to deepen relationships. 
So look at John 8, verse 3. As Jesus was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. The context here is that Jesus is teaching. Everywhere Jesus taught, there would be a great crowd. So it's important that you know that the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, in your notes, they were the spiritual police of that day. Their job was to enforce the religious laws. But in this situation, their job was not so much to enforce the law. Their job assignment in your notes here was to trap Jesus. And it's kind of interesting. It's only the woman that was brought to Jesus, not the guy. Where is he? Did he slip out the back door when he heard the accuser's camels coming up? Just where is he? What you will see is that it really doesn't matter. Because it wasn't about him, and it wasn't even about her. What you will see is that it's really about what? Getting Jesus. Their assignment was to trap Jesus. So then look at John 8, verses 4 to 6. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. And what do you say? Now they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. The trap is that the Pharisees were trying to force Jesus into one of two answers so that either way he answers, they think they're going to get him. The two choices are if Jesus says that she should not be stoned to death, what he's doing is he would be number one in your notes, going against the law of Moses. Anyone listening to Jesus would say that Jesus is not from God because he's going against the teachings of Moses. So they thought Jesus loses. But if Jesus says yes to the stoning of her, he would then be going against number two in your notes, the law of Rome. Rome, see, forbids the Jews from carrying out stonings under their Roman jurisdiction. Plus that Jesus' credibility as being a person with compassion and forgiveness would go by the way. So these accusers are now filled with great pride, thinking they had Jesus cornered. The crowd must be getting intense. Verse 6 says, Jesus stooped down. He rode in the dust with his finger. Jesus breaks the momentum. You can almost see Jesus riding in the dust with his finger. In fact, the Bible does not say what he wrote. We have no idea what Jesus was writing. He might have been writing out the Ten Commandments since they were originally written by the finger of God. Or he might have been writing the names of the people in the crowd who had committed the sin of adultery. We just do not know. Or he might have just written down, the Pharisees are dumb. We don't know. But we are given a third choice, a difference, the two of the, from the Pharisees. Look at John 8, verses 7 and 8. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, 
all right? Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. Surprise! The Pharisees did not think of that angle. It was a brilliant response, yet it upheld the morality of the law of Moses. I really do not know what Jesus, why he stooped down again. Maybe Jesus just forgot to sign his name. Maybe he just was thinking about the whole situation, how this woman could have a future with his grace and forgiveness. If only this woman would live her life the right way and fill it with love and joy. So looking at the results, John 8, verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. As these accusers are walking away, what were they admitting? Walking away was admitting in your notes that they, they had their sin. That's what their body language was saying as they walked away. They were admitting their own sin. They were guilty. They were wondering also what to do with those rocks they had in their hands. Now the woman alone is with Jesus. Looking at John 8, verses 10 and 11. Then Jesus stood up. And said to the woman, where are, your, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. She was just a stone's throw away from death. Now she hears Jesus' tender voice. The one who, person without sin, the one person who could have definitely picked up a stone, he did not himself ever sin but he did not even pick up one. This is what I want you to learn about this today. In your notes, in that moment, Jesus forgives for her past. Jesus gives forgiveness for her past sin. I'm not going to condemn you, Jesus said to the woman. And secondly, in your notes, Jesus chooses to focus on her future. He says to her, go and live a different life. Go and make adjustments. Go and get your act together. I believe in you. I believe you can make a difference. See, this story is a beautiful one because it's your story and it's my story as well. The word of God in this story is alive and active. It's relevant. If you and I are going to have deeper relationships in our families, in our places of work, in our church, that relationships that matter most, then we instead, by picking up rocks to throw, we must pick up forgiveness and a belief that we can get our act together with God's help. So in your notes, instead of picking up rocks to deepen relationships, we need to pick up forgiveness and pick up belief. A deep relationship needs forgiveness and it needs belief. So looking at the summary of the people involved in this story. Number one in your notes, guilty. That's the woman. She is, and she confesses, I'm wrong. Number two is the guilt without accountability. And that's the guy who got away. And number three, the judgmental pylon, which is all the people with rocks in their hands saying, I can't believe that she did that. 
These are all the same dynamics that come into play today. You take any conflict, there's somebody there with stones. Rarely is there a totally innocent party. The point is that there was nobody but Jesus who was truly innocent. Everybody walked away because they were guilty. In fact, everybody is flawed. Downright creepy. Look at step two, or two steps to deepen relationships with people. Number one, I must first of all in your notes make a list of my faults. I must admit my own faults. This is an important factor in building healthy relationships. If you do not admit your own faults, here's what you will be doing in life. You're going around picking on other people. You go around criticizing and nagging and critiquing and accusing and piling on. But when you first of all admit your own faults, you're aware of your own sin. You tend to lower the bar. You be more compassionate and forgiving to other people. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? See, as you experience God's forgiveness in your life, then you are empowered to share that grace and that forgiveness with others. In your notes, awareness of your own sin helps you to be more forgiving to others. And that's where healthy relationships begin. So you make a list of your own faults. You admit your own faults. The forgiveness of sins is freely given and received in a deepening relationship with Jesus. Then number two, the second step in deepening relationships. In your notes, I must make a list of significant people. This is not just talking about your Christmas list, though. You're not talking about every name that you have on your Outlook contacts. I'm talking about the smaller list. Who are the significant people in your life? Who are the people, if you had one month to live, you'd want to spend time with those people? That's the list I'm talking about now. See, at your funeral, who do you want to be sitting in the front row? That's the list I'm talking about. I want to challenge you to let those people know they are significant to you. Look at 1 John 3.18. He writes, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. If you and I would set eye to eye, and if you had one month to live, you would say, I want to be characterized as a loving person. Now, that does not mean that you go around saying to everybody, I love you, I love you. Because talk is cheap. The Bible says that anybody can say it. It says you will be known by your love if you prove it. So in your notes, you prove it means that you master the small acts. Meaningful relationships are built on a series of small acts over a long period of time. See, if you had one month to live with people, you would want them to remember you by something you did for them. Maybe a hug. By the time you spend doing things together, 
by the words that you shared, by the gifts that you gave, whatever small acts. You see, in a survey that was taken, the number one small act that was most meaningful was when somebody just encourages me. That was the most meaningful. So here's the question. When's the last time you encouraged those significant people in your life? The second most meaningful small act was when someone just calls on you to see how you're doing. And the third most meaningful act, when someone listens to me, the top three did not include buying someone a dinner. It did not include giving flowers. It did not include buying a drink at Starbucks. All three of those had in common no money. If we are building relationships, if we are going to deepen those significant relationships, it's built on small acts. Mastering those small acts, it takes practice because we're all selfish. And we have to develop some good habits. It takes time. One of the best places to deepen those relationships is in your church and the small groups like Bible studies. When you join together in small groups, there you have time to admit your faults with people whom you trust. You can deepen relationships by sending, spending time with them. In conclusion, week one. One month to live, you'll live like you're dying. Week two, you love like you are forgiven. God chose to forgive you for Jesus' sake. Now, forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is your choice. So you live on a higher level. Number one, you live like you're dying. Number two, live like you are forgiven. Look at Colossians 3, verse 13. Please read it with me together out loud. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you. And remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I want you to circle that word, remember, in that verse. If you are a follower of Jesus, remember the Lord forgave you. Remember his forgiveness. You're to remember his cross. You know, in our culture today, we have a phrase that we often use. And you notice our culture says, forgive and what? Yeah, forgive and forget. That's the way the world looks at today. The Bible says, however, in your notes, forgive and remember. If you and I want to be characterized by love, if we would like to live like we are forgiven, then we must forgive and remember. So I don't forget that Jesus died for my sins on the cross. I don't forget that his death on the cross canceled the debt of my sin. I don't forget the fact that I am not deserving of his forgiveness. I just don't forget. Because Jesus said to that woman, go and sin no more. So I challenge you, go and love like you are forgiven. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.